Hello, everyone. This is Shannon Waller here, and thank you very much for joining me. I have a very special interview with, for you today with Jack Mitchell, who is chairman of Mitchell's, Richards, Marshes, and Wilkes Bashard. And he is one of the people I absolutely appreciate so much for having written down his wisdom in two of my very favorite books, which is why they are written in my recommended reading section of the Team Success Handbook, which are Hug Your Customers and Hug Your People. So, Jack, thank you so much for spending the time with me today to kind of dive deep into what makes your store such an incredible success all around the country and for sharing your wisdom with us today. Well, thank you, Shannon. I'm thrilled, just thrilled to be with you and your and your guests. Thank you very much. So I want to start by some of the principles that are in Hug Your Customers. And one of the things that I really appreciate about the books, because the theme is the same for both, you know, it's how you treat your customers, you need to treat your team the same way, which we'll get to later in the conversation. But in Hug Your Customers, you have, you pay an incredible amount of attention to who your customers are as individuals. And that has really served you as being your you know, your principles, your guiding vision, how things have been done from when the stores was st- store was started with your parents. And you have created what you call the hugging culture, which I absolutely love because I hug my clients all the time, as they know. <laughs> um, so can you just, I mean, I know this is kind of a broad question, but can you just say why this resonates so much with you? And, and what is a hugging culture? And, and if someone were to go into your stores, what could they expect? What would the experience be like? You know, it's sort of a, a real sense when you walk in our stores. We hopefully have an environment uh, just like your home. If you walked into our stores, you would be you'd be greeted by whoever happens to be the closest person to you, and we would just greet you as if we were you were hopefully an old friend or or maybe a first friend that was walking through the door. Hi there, how you doing? Um, it happens to be it's kind of hot down here today in in uh, Connecticut. Um, we w- we would welcome you into our home as a as in a friendly, warm, smiling, open way. Now, sometimes you might, you might, you know, you, we're in the, we're, we sell clothes, but we're, we're like a Harry Rosen, who I know you know, and Larry Rosen in, in um, Toronto and throughout Canada, great stores, friends of ours. And anyway, we would welcome you in and, and we would begin to, to try to determine, evaluate why you've come in. Um, in a nice way, you might might be it's maybe hot. We may offer you co- uh, some nice water, which like sparkling or still water, um, coffee, cappuccino, whatever. Um, and we would we would try to make you again feel very welcome in the in the store. And then we would proceed to go through the selling process, which again would be to try to find small things about you or personal things about you. Do you like the Blue Jays or do you like the, God forbid, the Yankees? <laughs> and, and, if, and, and we would get involved that way. Or maybe you're, maybe you're, you're involved in, in the ballet and the fine arts. Obviously, San Francisco has a world-renowned ballet um, group and, and the symphony and so forth, which we don't have in Westport, Connecticut. So we would begin to get to know you on that level Unless you said, look, I, w- I want three suits or I want four dresses and so forth, then we would jump right in and show you our collections. But we're, we're all about um, trying to personalize the relationships. And as you know from reading my book, the origin of the word hugging to, to um, uh, our culture um, really started. Would you like me to share that with you? And, and yes, guess? please, yes. You know, it was, it was back well over 10 years ago, because the book, my Hug Your Customer book was written 10 years ago, or it was published 10 years ago. It was like in the year 2000, 2001. I was asked to be not a keynote speaker, but a, a panelist at our CEO Summit 
in uh, that's put on by Fairchild Publications in in the United States, and I'm sure someone from the, your, your Canadian retailers were there too. And anyway, uh, the, the 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 keynote speaker before our panel, he jumped up and down, and it was the dot com era. He said that everybody a decade from now had to have a sexy, wonderful, warm, you know, interactive website, and if you didn't have this great site, you were history, especially if you were a bricks and mortar channel of distribution store. Um, and especially independent stores were were, were history. We, we would not survive the next decade, and and um, or these big box stores were going to come and they were going to wipe out any smaller um, uh, retailer. Well, you know, everybody cheered, everybody standing ovation. This was seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning, and our panel went on right after that, um, <laughs> Shannon, and and there were five or six of us, and we each had five or six minutes to talk about our stores. And I got a, the first woman, she was a CEO of a big company, and she said essentially the same thing. Gentleman said the same thing. Next speaker, I was number three. And it was one of those stages where you sort of walk, if you want to, you could walk down the, the middle of the, of, the, of, the, um, of the room. And I did, and I said, you know, not only are we going to survive, we're going to thrive the next decade because we're all about something I haven't even heard anybody use the word yet. We're about customers. Customers, I said, you know, these customers are the center of the universe, and we are a company-wide, customer-centric business, and we happen to we have real stores, and 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 you know we know people's names and their nicknames and their birthdays and their anniversary dates, and they, again, kiddingly, do they like the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Blue Jays? Do you know? We know they like Pepsi or Coke, and you know we we walk them to the car after the sale, and we 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 we. We give them water, Pepsi, whatever it is. We, we and it's not just myself and my family. It's it's all of our sales associates, our buyers. How the heck do do, do buyers know what to buy for their for the customers if they're not on the selling floor and meeting and greeting the people and watching what they buy and asking good questions about why they're buying it, what they need that we don't have, and our shipping and receiving people. It's sort of like the golden rule. Everybody works on the selling floor. They. They come up and they wrap packages. And for our Jewish friends, we, we wrap with Hanukkah paper during the holidays. And our Christian friends, we obviously have Santa Claus or something that's more of a Christian motif. And, and we really try to personalize the relationships with each and every customer. And it's everybody, our, our fitters and our tailors. Dominic Condaleo has been with us for 50 years of the 53 years we've been in business. Our fitter head tailor in Richard's um, uh, Tulio has been with us for 43 years. They know the what these customers like and what they don't like, how they like to fit or not. Anyway, I got carried away and I ran out of breath, sort of like I am now. <laughs> and um, I sat down after my five or six minutes. And then when our panel was finished, I, I sat down, came down to a table, and there was a big round table. And the president of Birdolph Goodman, which is probably the finest store in New York City and probably in all, most of North America, owned by Neiman Marcus. He put his finger in my face, and he said, the next thing you're going to tell me, Jack, is that you and your your employees actually hug your customers. <laughs> and I closed my eyes, and we just talked about my brother Bill. I could see my brother Bill. My brother Bill literally bear hugs everyone, <laughs> and whether it be you know the, the chairman of the board of General Electric or, or just any wonderful person that comes in the store. He's, he's, he's remarkable. And then I closed my eyes. I saw Frank Alagi, who's been at Richards for 48 years, hugging Matt Lauer and Al Roker, even before Al lost all his weight. And and I and I said, doesn't everybody hug their customers? And I realized then, right then, that not everybody does hug their customers. Now, a hug 
can be a bear hug, but it's a metaphor, of course, Shannon. You know that, and mm-hmm. we all, I'm sure your 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 guests know that. It's a metaphor. Any tiny act or deed that connects the human connection with someone else, with a customer, and when you have that human connection, they they begin to trust you, and that trust begins to develop over a period of time, and then you develop this personal and professional relationship, and they come back and they become loyal trusted clients for life, forever. So that means the loyalty of your customers is probably much higher. I'm, I know you focus on your own clients compared to other other stores, but the loyalty of your clients from your stories and from things I've heard is, is phenomenal. Well, we're, we're very proud of that. I would say, yes, you're, that's right. I mean, we all know from business that the, it's like an 80-20 rule. I mean, 80% of your, custo- your business is done with 20% of your customers. Mm-hmm. And these 20% we actually use, as you know from reading my book, we, we call them clients. We just, it's an in-house term that we use. And, and, and these, these are folks that, and valued friends that spend $5,000 or more in any one of the last revolving three years. Uh, and we know your name and your nickname and your birthday and something personal about you. And as we build this relationship, because you can't remember everybody and all the details, we actually put it into our, our database which is, of course, even before the privacy laws, we, our customers trust us, so they know that we would never misuse, sell any of this information or data. But we collect the data to serve the customers better because we know if you're an international banker, you know, you'll be traveling to, to um, Toronto or you'll be traveling to um, the U.K. or China or wherever, Moscow, and you need to dress differently when you do that than you do if you're living in Hawaii. So, so you, you know those kinds of things about the person, and then you can better clothe them and better serve them. If you know all of what they do and what they don't do, and then you know their birthdays. Well, you know, you, you, or an anniversary. I mean, am I covered for, we're in the jewelry business too, by the way. We're in the upper end men's and women's business, plus we have a, we're the leading jeweler now in Connecticut. And, and because our customers trust us, they, they, we, we can call them up on their anniversary and say, um, you know, are you covered for uh, for your wife's 50th anniversary or 25th or 10th? They're like, thank and you they, for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they thank us. They thank us. And then they come in and and because we're friends. I mean, one of the taglines that my brother Bill loves to talk about, it was, was, um, it was what we've used forever, it's called once a customer, always a friend. So once you become a customer or a client, you come back we really look, view our our customers as friends, and they do the same with us. And it's it sounds corny. It sounds, you know, mom and pop-ish. Now, you know, so we started as a mom and pop business when I was a sophomore at Wesleyan University, a small school here in Connecticut. My brother Bill was still only in high school, and my dad, mom and dad were in their mid-50s. My father hopped off the commuting train. Westport, Connecticut is about an hour commute from New York City, and he had ridden those trains for a long time well, over 25 years, and he decided, no, Moss, I'm going to open my own little store. And we started with three suits, a coffee pot that Mom brought from home to give, serve our friends, and our, who were, of course, our first customers, coffee, and, and a dream to be the very, very best um, store we could ever be in Westport, Connecticut, 800 square feet and three, sto- three suits. And again, to fast forward that, with those five stores that you mentioned in an introduction for, uh, for me, you know, we're it's been you know 54 years 53 54 years but we're we're now the the largest independent family owned 
um, stores in our space, which is the more the luxury space, like a Harry Rosen, I'd like to say, or or a, a, um, a Holt Renfrew in the in, in in that space in in the United States, next to. You know, I mean, we're obviously we're not Neiman Marcus, but that's a public company or will be a public company. And you get Saks and Barneys and Nordstroms behind them. And most of the areas were were probably the largest. But we think we still think small. We still think one on one, personalizing every relationship we possibly can. So the answer your question the long winded way. When you come in, hopefully you feel that like you're like and it's. Our stores are as open as you can be. We we try to keep them open so we can see our customers and they can see the sales associates and the tailors and and make it feeling part of of our family. And we treat them that way. Well, and one of the other things you talk about is transparency. So, in, and I think that's both very very important. The transparency. Yeah, we would call that that happens backstage with your teams, and we'll talk about that. But it also yes. happens front stage. You can everyone can see what everyone else is doing. It feels like a community. The one thing I really, first of all, I had written down before our conversation, once a customer, always a friend, because that was one of the quotes from the book that completely jumped out at me, which I appreciate that you mentioned, so that's great. (laughs) Um, The thing that really strikes me is a lot of people, and you talked at the beginning about high, you know, I would call it high tech, and so that, you know, and what all the other speakers were saying is you had to get all technological. And what you were saying is what really matters is still high touch. It's that personalized relationship. And one of the things that I'm incredibly aware of is in our very transactional world, you know, things that we can buy on the Internet without a personal connection, we want to pay as little as possible for it because there's, we can easily shop and figure out who's got the cheapest price. But right. we are willing to pay a lot for people who care about us. And the number of people we run into on a day-to-day basis, especially in a shopping environment, that actually care it's very few and far between. So it's, to my mind, you offer what you offer becomes even more important and even more precious in our highly commoditized, high-tech kind of world that we have. Is that what you found? I, I definitely think so. However, just to make sure you hear it and your, your audience hears it, we, we don't want to be a dollar more than any legitimate retailer or monobrand um, uh, that, that exists. And so, in other words, if you go online and you see a Cuccinelli shirt from Cuccinelli's website or Saks Fifth Avenue's website. It shouldn't be, even though we're not in the in the online yet. Uh, it should never be. It should never be less than our than our product. Okay, and, thank you. And and that's very important to the conceptually. And our customers know that. Yes. Sort of, and they trust us that. And if it were, we would be on sale. I mean, we're on sale now for our obviously our 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 spring summer collections because it's very hot here in Connecticut. <laughs> it's hot here too. And, so this personalization of the relationships is is difficult to get online. Not saying it's impossible, but it's it's certainly not the same. So, uh, as you know, I have another simple paradigm in my book, my Hug Your Customer book. You know, most people in our space are talking more really about the product. They wake up in the morning. They're, they, I mean, when I was a kid, when I bump into some of these industry leaders in Milan or or Florence or New York, they grab me, oh, what's selling? Is it two buttons, three buttons, stripes? You know, um, but, so they, they, they're all interested in product. And then, of course, there is price involved in it. And, and um, they may talk about customer service, but probably not. That's not top of mind. And so when we wake up in the morning, we think about personalizing customer service and of course, you don't do that, Shannon. You know this—that's the business you're in, coaching. You don't do that in a vacuum. People give customer service, so right. we're all about trying to 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 you know hire the right people, motivate the right people, educate them, and then let them be 
use your words in your book, your book, you know, the entrepreneur, the individual, they feel like they're an owner in that wholesaling process. Um, and then they, we talk about the personalizing service, and then we, we sell, we happen to sell clothes. I was a kid by saying, well, then, you know, so we, then, and then, then we sell clothing. But, I mean, I'll put our product, because we know the customers, we try to buy for these customers. Literally saying, you know, when, when my wife, who's been the driving force of our women's business, because it's well over 50% now, when she, when I've been with her when she's bought Armani, either Collezioni or Black Label in, in, in Milan, she'll, she'll have a printout that will show our top 100 Armani customers, sizes and, and styles and so forth. But what she, she knows probably 80, 80 of those customers because she's been on the selling floor seeing them over the years buy the, these, so she, she thinks about the real customers and not just what, what she sees on the runway. So it's every bit of our, DNA has been from mom and dad right through my brother and myself and my wife and second generation onto our seven sons are all about about this this personalizing the relationship. But I will say also with the with the modern technology of the database that gives us the the, the measuring things and the data to support. So it's a combination of the high touch hugging your customers with the high technology behind the scenes that enables us to. To, to, to know the differences between our customers because you can't remember, you know, we have 11,000 of these wonderful people that spend our, our called clients. Wow, that's a lot. Well, and I totally agree. I'm, I'm all about using technology to leverage the relationship, but I think sometimes it, pe- right. people get the re- equation mixed up. <laughs> but technology oh, yeah, that, first. Oh, oh, there's, there, there's no question that our, that our driving force in our business is that we care about our customers. We're a value-based um company family owned business and and it's all about it's all about our 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 values of you know caring about people integrity as you say transparency hard work confidence respect you know curiosity i mean we're all about these values that that we have as a family and that tra- that these values are in the business and then we we employ or we hire associates that that have these same values and then they they execute them based on what they see around them and what they've always wanted to do to be in an environment and that that encourages them to to build these personal relationships and have fun doing it. Fun is another big part of what we do. We have a good time, and and we and we love everyone here. That maybe they don't want to love as much as I do, but I if you talk to them privately, I think you'd find that most of them have been here. They've been here forever, so we very rarely lose people. To other to competitors because they really do enjoy what they do working with us. When your associates are loyal, not just your clients, that says a whole lot about your culture. So let's dive into that because I know that a lot of people creating a really great company culture is a completely mysterious process. Culture <laughs> for most of them is something that they end up with by accident, and it may or may not be something that they intended. So one of the things that I really appreciate that you have outlined in Hug Your People, particularly is it's it's your success formula it's what works at the stores which are incredibly successful so if anyone's wondering it is you know jack you can share the number if you're if you're inclined to but in the book it's it's well in the tens of millions of dollars so if anyone thinks this is only for a small 
organization. No, it's not. This is a, you know, it may sound like it's small, but in terms of the impact, in terms of uh, being financially successful, the numbers are there to back it up. And that's one of the things I think is so powerful about this. And, and it's another reason why I like another entrepreneur that I'm very fond of, which is, is Tony Shea, which he wrote about in Delivering Happiness. You can have yeah. a fun, collaborative, celebrative have a hundred percent customer service organization that is outrageously successful financially, and I love those two things being together. <laughs> that makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, when I wrote when I wrote actually, um, hug your customers. I was a little little not worried is the wrong word, but I was. Um, uh, I, I thought maybe somebody in our family again we're we're a family business would be. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't want me to share the fact that, that we are profitable and that we, we like to make money. It's sort of, um, you know, a result of, of the, of the culture that we have and the, and our business practices. Um, but as you know from reading the book, I, I, yes, we do, we do well over a hundred million dollars and, uh, in our stores and, and we, we, we have this simple, um, uh, you know, formula of, 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 of how we do it. If you think about it for a minute, if you have loyal customers, or clients, they generally shop at regular price because they want they want you want somebody to call you, Shannon, and say, well, the new the new Armani or Cuccinelli has just arrived, and it's, we have something just set aside for you. You're a size six, and blah blah. You, they know everything about you, and you're going to be on stage, and you're going to be doing this and that. So, so when they come in, also our our goal is to have 65 to 70 percent of our business done at regular price. And you don't have to go to the best universities in North America to, to accounting to know that at regular price the margins are a lot better than on sale. <laughs> yes. Right. So and then and then if you have these personal relationships, you don't. The really marketing department are your sales associates because mm-hmm. they're the ones that that call. They're the ones that follow up with personalized notes with real link pens. They're the ones that know whether you like to hack email or not, and so forth. And so the 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 sales associates. We, we can we they're the ones that market to you now we have very which I'll be happy to send to you like Harry Rosen does like Harry's magazine we have our own magazines but of course our vendors pay for most of the advertising in there I mean they we can drop into the most affluent homes in Connecticut and Long Island and California now the Bay Area in California um, our magazine and it has ads from Xenia and Cuccinelli and Laura Piana and so forth so they they help support our marketing advertising efforts, and then of course we don't spend a dime if it doesn't really touch the customers. I mean we don't, you know, we we, we so it, it, when you do that and and you also have a a frugal family tradition of I mean I always they always kid me I mean I still fly coach, and everybody flies coach, <laughs> and so and that's a symbol of I mean of course I could afford to fly candidly afford to fly business class, but it's just a symbol of the fact that. It doesn't touch the customer. I may be inconvenienced a little bit if I take the red eye home from California, but guess what? It symbolizes without without being pompous about it that that we really we 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 want to save every dime we possibly can. And anyway, long story short, I have that formula in, in our book, and guess what? It it produces um, uh, significant profits and cash flow, and um, so I'm proud of that, and our family is proud of that. That this warm fuzzy stuff called hugging. Um, clearly does result in the bottom line. I mean, people, everybody wants to make a profit. You have to make a profit to be in business. And our family business does that through these very simple um, hugging um, strategies and and execution. That's another thing. 
I, I, my, one of my sons, Russell, always says he, we, we execute for, without sounding presumptuous very well. We, mm-hmm. we, 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 we try to execute and deliver this customer service, personalized customer service, every single time the customer comes in the store. Well, it's something you pay attention to, and you said you don't like to make the same mistake twice, so you really have a lot of attention on that. So okay. I want to I want to move to your formula because by the way I think your your financial formula is incredibly practical and strategic so I love both of those things because that's sort of my the, my two monikers um, and you also have a really neat formula for your associates and how they feel and how you treat them so that they can then deliver that superb customer service to your clients and customers and the formula if I can just go through it is nice trust. <laughs> pride, include, and recognize. So I'm hoping we're going to have time to go through all of those, and some of them we'll spend a little bit more time on. But I have a couple of questions for you around nice, if you don't, if you don't mind. Of course. So what does nice mean, and how do you <laughs> find it? Those are my two main questions. Define nice, and then how do you actually attract it? Because a lot of people I know talk to me and say, Shannon, I can't find anyone who's who I want them to be, and you have somehow mastered that. So please, please share your secrets. Of course, of course, it's it is difficult to describe um, niceness, but but you can you can recognize it and you can feel it when somebody is nice to you, or you you can then reciprocate and be nice to them. I always kid. The reason in my first book, you may remember that I said that that I there were there were four elements that we hire for. I won't bore you with the four. I'll bore you, but tell you the four. You know those. But the fifth one. I picked up in my in my second book, and that was nice mm-hmm. because. And I, I did a speech when my first. I do, as you know, I do motivational speaking throughout the co- the country and the world, and and I use those four things of being positive and being you know being honest and and being competent and and passion to listen, learn, and grow. And this gentleman said he owned 54 hotels in Denver, or he was from Denver, but he owned across the United States. He said, "You forgot nice." He said, "Nice is." So I, of course, I asked the same question you did. How do you how do you determine nice? He said, "I'll give you a simple one, Jack." He said, "You traveled today from New York to Denver, and you know over the Mississippi, if not immediately, whether the person sitting next to you in your next seat is nice or not." Mm. Right? You just look at them. Are they smiling? Do they look happy? Did they bump into you? Did they did they elbow you off the chair? Um, did they, did they, did you or did they help you with their, if you had to help the, the woman with a, with her big bag on the thing, did she say thank you? Would you say appreciate you're doing that? Did when they, when you had to powder your nose, did, did they spill the martini or the water all over you? And even if they did, would, did they apologize? You, you know, if you focus, if you focus, Shannon, on, on whether the person is nice, you can, you know, you can even ask these questions like, you know, I have in my book, well, what's the nicest thing you've ever done for somebody? And then they then they think about it, and they they give you some stories, which I love, as you know from my books, mm-hmm. stories of how they were nice, um, or not. If if they start, a, they they can't figure it out. Then you know there's maybe something challenging about their their personality, which wouldn't fit into our our hugging culture. Mm-hmm. So so nice is something that that um, you 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 can you can feel it, um, and and as you as you know from you know how you treat people is how is, is you know, one-on-one is is what niceness is all about. You know, I kid in my 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 um, you know chapter on nice in my Hug Your People book. I mean, I I kid that my I say is it Kathy with a K or Kathy with a C? Um, you know the story. My oldest daughter daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> uh, only in terms of anyway, my old in terms of first my my oldest son. 
you know, we had a big engagement party. We were thrilled they were getting married. This was like 25 years ago. And, and of course, I wrote her this wonderful, warm note because I really had got to respect her and love her. And I, but I put, I made that thing, her, her um, salutation with a C and not a K. Well, she, she obviously has forgiven me, but she's not forgotten. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so, but those little things you pick up on being nice. Does do somebody, do, do they say good morning to you? I mean, top of the morning, or do they say good night, or do they, do they give you a firm handshake? Little things you can pick up on. Do you want to, do you want to be with this person for life? Because we, as you know from, from reading my books, we try to hire people for a career, for life. And I want to, I want to have nice people working for me or for us. And it's just simple. And guess what? They want to come to a place. They want to wake up in the morning and they want to come to a place where there are nice people here. The thing that I really like about nice is it also means friendly. It means safe. One of the things that I was reading out loud to my husband last night as I was preparing, partially preparing for this interview, I said, you know, what you say, you say something about where people can be themselves, when they can be their yeah. real selves at work. And I said, Bruce, what do I always say about strategic coaches? He said, you say you can be your real self. I'm like, yes. <laughs> 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 and that's what, I mean, that is so rare. I mean, when we have people come into our company and all of a sudden you see their shoulders go down, their posture improves, they smile more because they're not playing defense. You know, they're not protecting themselves. They're not having to cover up. They can be their real, genuine selves, which, and I found, I think like you have, that people are delightful. They are so fun and so interesting and have so much to contribute if you just don't beat them up. Oh, you'd never beat them up. Obviously, you have to, like you were you were saying in your book, I mean, you you know, the, you, you need to build on strengths. I mean, you build on their strengths. And I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, I say it in the book, like you were saying, I mean, you, you have to, you know, our environment, the hugging environment creates, creates the, the thing of being transparent, open, and you can be yourself. Mm-hmm. I just came back from a trip to Alaska with, with um, um, uh, a number of gentlemen that I do every year. And that's, they, some of them say that it's the only time of the year they can really be themselves. And I candidly say to myself, you know, that's a dash sad mm-hmm. because because here they are, they're very senior people in, in different industries and different walks of life. And I, I feel I'm always myself. Now, sometimes, obviously, I use my pause button or my mute button. You have one? I don't have one. <laughs> especially, especially as I've gone from being CEO to be chairman. But on the other hand, it really is important to really, you know, um, listen, learn, and make it, a, make it a spot where everybody can be themselves. Somebody has a sick child, they, they have to go home. Or their their husband or their their spouse or their significant other, you know, is whatever. And you you try to you build on those things, and then all of a sudden, it it always comes back. I mean, you know what happens when you hug someone? I'm not I'm not lecturing to you. You know what? Mm-hmm. They they hug mm-hmm. you back. Mm-hmm. So that's what this environment and your environment, I'm sure, where you are, is the same thing. It's it's definitely the freedom. Freedom is a huge word for me too. Oh, I, I love freedom. That's one of my favorites. And the flip side, as Thomas Jefferson said, the flip side is responsibility. Mm-hmm. So if, if you give people that freedom, most of the time, 99% of the time, then they're very responsible. And if they make a mistake, like we were talking about, you know, I have a whole, whole part of my book, of the first book, is I love mistakes. Mm-hmm. I love that I chapter. Want, I want people to, if, if they don't dare to risk something and try something new themselves, go for it, just do it. You know, like Nike said, or like you said in your book, then then you know it's they don't have that freedom. Then I want them to do that. That's right. I don't want to. I don't want to make the same mistake twice. 
obviously, but we've all made it, and that's how we learn, is to making mistakes. Well, one of the exercises in Strategic Coach, which most of the listeners will have gone through, is we call it the Experience Transformer, and usually you use it for experiences that did not quite go as planned. <laughs> they work, <laughs> it works really well for things that did go well, right. and you can learn from it and repeat it, but but often I tend to use it for things where I was like, that did not quite go quite the way I wanted it to, and so we do what what's the experience, what worked, what didn't, knowing what we know now, what, what we do differently, and then what's yeah. our new series of strategies and actions? And it's it's brilliant because it gets people, first of all, and even in the worst situation, it wasn't all bad. And then in every good situation, something could have been improved. And then you get out of the blame game, which I think is what a lot of people by default end up doing, and into learning. And we, like you, love that people will take risks and love that people will step out there. And, and sometimes you're like, okay, I'm going to try this. Not quite sure how it's going to work out. And we're like, okay, well, well, we've got your back. you know. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But the, that spirit of experimentation leads to new successes. I mean, since, as we were talking before the call, since you know you've written the books, you've done a whole whole bunch of new business. You've added new lines. You've added new stores, and that didn't come out of someone not being willing to take a risk. Right, but but you know, in a, in a sense, not I say but and I like I don't like the word but by the way. I like Me and 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 by the way, I don't I don't really have never thought of it as a risk because again we're. We're, we're, I don't view ourselves as risk takers. Others would, can perceive it that way. But I mean, we always go through the exercises of what ifs, what if this, what if that, especially on these bold, on these big major strategic moves like buying a store in California 3,000 miles away mm-hmm. across our country. Um, but we, you know, we, we cover our downside with, with just like you do in a, I was clicking where, where our family happens to like cards. We play poker a lot, you know, for nickels and dimes, but we, but we are very competitive. And, but you always cover your, your bets and you, you, you don't bet more than you can afford. And, and you cover with different companies, different, different business ways to protect your downside so that, and then on a, you know, on the back of a napkin, it, it will, it will work if you've done the proper planning, the proper preparation. And then, then you, and this is the big thing from my second book, you were asking about the, the, the guiding principles, and you include them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you have to invite people to be part of that, um, the discussion. You have to then involve them. They have to feel included. And then, of course, they become informed, better informed about the decision-making process, and then they become invested, my five eyes. Mm-hmm. And when you get, when you get these people, like when we went to California, we, we changed, or after a year, they we, we we changed the compensation system. They they actually changed it because we got them involved in these five eyes. They, they meaning the sales associates, because when you have people in our space on commission, and you're trying to build build the you know the title of your book teamwork, right? <laughs> yes. To the team success. Well, you have you know a big hitter comes in that buys a lot of clothes. You know that they're fighting over who's going to have that person, mm-hmm. even though the relationship. Maybe with one of them, if they're sick, they're on vacation, they're on, they're selling somebody else. It becomes a challenge, a huge challenge. And when you take the money side out of it, and and you 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 reward for teamwork, and you reward for positiveness, and you reward for these qualitative things like like um, uh, you know caring for people. And so, for example, we, in our in our we do have reviews of our associates and um, performance reviews. And we actually put in these qualitative things like teamwork, like positiveness. Mm-hmm. So people say, well, how, how can you, you can't quantify that. Well, you, of course you can. It's all in the eyes of the beholder. I mean, if I said to, 
to um, as you know, in one of my books, I put I didn't use the real person's name, but you know, you, you this person was a heavy seller here in Connecticut. We said, let's take California as an example. So you say to the person, you know, on a scale of one to ten, how do you feel you are as a team? You know, on teamwork. And the person says, of course, they're going to say, I'm the boss. What are they going to say? They're going to say, then they look up, the, you know, I'm a seven or an eight. Well, when they learn that others perceive you, the Myers-Briggs, I'm sure you're, so yes. you and you're, you know, and no, no, you're, I view you as a two. And rather than getting argumentative about that, you have more of a healthy discussion of why I feel the person's a two and not a seven or an eight. Then you, then you, you, you bring the person along by the, to show them their, the changes in their behavior they have to be in order to be a team player or a positivist. They come in every day blaming the president or their spouse or their partner. You know, I, I don't want those people. You know, I want, we want people that, that come in positive. And so, of course, you know, my wife has never made a mistake. You know, so, you know, and so, and, and I can tell you, assure you, the presidents in, the, in our country have made a lot. But, but, but we want to support the president. That's intuitively and educationally, we want to support our leaders. And and so, that, you know what I'm saying. So the, we we really, in our reviews, not only do we look at the number side, which is what most businesses do. And they compensate based on that. We actually have, you know, that ingredient of the qualitative things, the hugging part of it, if you will, uh-huh. into the into the performance, and it just builds so much better teamwork, so much more fun, helping each other with a sale. So much when the we had a fellow come back from vacation. He was in Italy, and in and in uh, um, Randy, his name is in California. And the first thing he said to me, I happened to be visiting California again. This was maybe three weeks ago. He said, Jack, this is the most unbelievable thing. I did more client business while I was away. Because Joe helped, Shaw helped my customer. Elizabeth helped my customers. In the old days, he said, you know, I wouldn't have had done any business. Right. Obviously. Well, that's wonderful. When people know that they can go away and still not be financially harmed by that, but in fact benefit, that's a big exactly. deal. Exactly. And, that- and enhanced, actually, because of, of, of what's happening. Now, it's not perfect, you know, all this and that, but, but the idea of putting, and we, we, it took us about six months to realize that that needed to go into the job descriptions and measure it that way, because we measure everything, every skew, every, every you know, item that we sell, every customer, we, we know how much they buy or don't buy. So we needed to measure the qualitative things, even though it's more difficult than obviously looking at a number. But you can you can begin to express dialogues in different ways. Well, and I think having a self-evaluation and then a team evaluation where other people view you, like if, if someone has a teamwork score of two and right. well, they think they're <laughs> seven and you think they're a two. I mean, I use the same formula in the entrepreneurial um, attitude exercise, and that's exactly how I suggest people use it. It's like have, if you're having a team member you're having issues with, have them evaluate themselves. And then you evaluate them and see where the differences are, not to critique them, but to have that productive coaching conversations. Like, you, here's how you're being perceived. And, and all of us have blind spots. So when all you can... Us, all of us do, sure. Yeah. And so when you can do that in a positive way, it's like, okay, just so you know, you're not, you may intend that, but you're not coming across that way. That's a supportive way to do it. Excuse me for interrupting, sure. but I, I, I have a, um, a simple one that I always kid about. It just so happens that my nonverbal... If I'm agreeing with you um, in, a, in a heavy conversation, an emotional conversation, to use your words from your book, and I, I start nodding the wrong way, I nod, you know, horizontally rather than vertically, <laughs> and 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 I have to, I have, I've been obviously told that over the years by people that are are aren't afraid to tell me how they feel, 
and I have to think about it in a, in a heavy conversation. Otherwise, the person gets totally the wrong impression. Right. So that's a blind spot that I learned by people being open and candid, candidly with a boss. Oh, great, great. I want to get to trust, which is where you talk about being open, which I think is brilliant. But there's another couple other words that you use that I just want to make sure our audience hears. And that you have a definition of empathy, which is caring, compassion, cooperativeness, and consistency. And the cooperativeness is one that to me is really, which you just talked about in your example in California, but the cooperativeness, cooperation, the willing to, willingness to be working with someone else is for me really a hallmark of what we would call a unique ability team. It's where everyone realizes they have strengths, everyone realizes that they have quote-unquote non-strengths, to use the politically correct term, and that when, <laughs> when you can work together and field, you know, field things to one another's strengths, we all win at a much higher level. And so I just want to, everyone to know that, that you know, Jack's got some phenomenal definitions, and have, you've really put some deep thought into this. But before we get into the next story I want you to tell is one about trust. And you said this might be the most important one. And it's, and this goes back to openness and transparency. And I want to draw out one particular item here, because in your whole list, one of the things that really strikes me, Jack, is that you and Bill and all of your sons and your obviously your parents, you've had to demonstrate these things. I mean, talking to you, it's clear you're a nice person. And... Mm -hmm. And, and one of the things I think that sometimes leaders forget is that they need to emulate, they need to be the model of what they're looking for from their best team members. It can be easy to want someone else to be better than you are. And in fact, I like to hire people that are smarter than I am in lots of areas. <laughs> but it's one of those things where who do you need to be in order to attract this type of people? So I'm mixing up two concepts here in terms of trust and leadership. But maybe you could give us your thoughts on each of those. Well... Um, of course, I think, you know, leaders have to walk the walk, you know, and just not talk the talk. I mean, clearly, um, as, as, by the way, I, I, I want, I'm glad that you mentioned my brother and my, our family and our all, everyone here, because that's, it really is a team effort that we have here in the stores that we, that we own, because I think they all feel that they're part of the team. And again, we're not perfect, but I do think that people know their roles and they, and we respect their roles. And they 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 um, they execute on their on their particular roles and responsibilities. But I, you know, I, to me, it's it's um, it, the whole idea of being open and transparent and showing up. I mean, t take the take the value of of um, obviously integrity, which is the most important one. I mean, you have to, you have to be honest, mm -hmm. and 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 you have to be open about it. You made a mistake, or you or you know, it was because of the teamwork that we were able to achieve thus and such, or the great buy that our buyers bought really was responsible for bringing the right merchandise at the right time. Or if you, but you, you cannot, you know, um, you have to be truthful all the time on everything. Mm -hmm. And, and if you, if, if it's a personal private matter, you can certainly say that, you know, this, that you're going into an area that it's just a personal matter or stepping over a boundary, a particular boundary that somebody has set within either the business setting or on the personal setting. Um, that's an important. I mean, we we spend we spent many days talking with our family business consultant in our family about boundaries. You can imagine we have nine, <laughs> eight eight um, um, different uh, nuclear families within our family business. Wow. That are that are active and working in the business. So you have to know the boundaries that each each nuclear family has for. Even like for our grandchildren, I mean, it's not, just to use your example, I mean, some families I just 
pop over and see our grandchildren. Sometimes others I know, I call. Is it a good time for me to come? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't make one is not better or worse. It's just the way it is. And so you have to know those 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 boundaries. And um, the you know the other one is again hard work. I mean you 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 have to show up. You have to be there. I mean you, there isn't a single member of our team any anywhere that isn't hard working. Um, so that's part of. But if if, if you can imagine if if we didn't show up for work or if we only worked. You know, we took vacations all the time. Um, that wouldn't work. So we have to set the standards, the, the the expectations and the standards for the for these values that are certainly part of our of our business, our family business. Mm-hmm. I can imagine the complexity of of that many different families. And, and I didn't share this with you earlier, but I also work with my sister and my mom. There you so go. we have within Strategic Coach and Dan and Babs are the owners of the company. We have little, we have families. So we have brothers and sisters, and we've got siblings and parents, and, and yeah, it's sort of wonderful. Unique wonderful. And, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> there is there's something called a three waller meeting at Strategic Coach, <laughs> which <laughs> <laughs> apparently is a fairly important one. So, but that's what Dan tells me. Um, so there's a also you you really engender with your team an enormous sense of pride of what you do. And one of the things that impresses me from the books and even what you said today. Is that you've always had a vision of being the best, and there, and when you aspire to that and you keep making progress to that, that is something that other people. I well, let me put it this way: I think people really love and do their best when they are working towards something bigger than themselves. And yeah, and so to my mind, you really—I mean—you've got pride down here, but they can be proud of what they can do as a team, which none of you would be able to do as an individual. And that, exactly. to me, is a really big deal. And I think it's something important to talk about. Well, I think, well, obviously, I think it's a huge, big deal. I think that, um, as I said in the, in the book, at least I think I said it in the book, sometimes it's hard to remember exactly what I've said, but, <laughs> but I mean, for years I always said we want to be the best men's, upper-end men's, you know, men's and women's clothing store in the world. And then since sometimes that sounds too pompous and too grandiose, so then I have to say, well, you have to only be the best you can be. Well, I've still really never given up the whole idea, as you say, of the vision you know, I want to be the best, but we'll, we're always, if best is always means you're going to have to continue to, to, to change and to grow and to listen and learn and make mistakes and then go ahead again. So it's always, it's always a path that, that, um, and then people can contribute to it. So I think it's a, I, I don't back away from saying that I, that I, that I still feel I want to be the best I can, I can be, but, that means I have to continue to learn and listen and be part of groups and pick up ideas. But you, as you well know, ideas can come not just from from other retailers. They can come from, I mean, all the customers we have. I pick up and, and the speeches that I've done for for 215 people or 16 people, different businesses. I I learn something when I talk to you know investment bankers or 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 nonprofits or hospitals. You pick up one or two gems everywhere you go and then it, then you come back to your business and translate it into the terms of of our our paradigm and it just it, it makes it makes that this whole innovative process is is unbelievably rewarding and fun mhm and profitable <laughs> <laughs> Which is, no, it's not impossible. It's uh, no, pro- I said profitable. <laughs> which, which, and I and I love it because to my mind, business is really a huge opportunity for everyone to win. I think it's a place where people learn what they do that works, that does create value for other people. I mean, I'm I get a really clear sense from both books about how it must after a tough day, a long commute, what it must be like to walk into one of the one of your stores, and all of a sudden you feel known. 
you feel cared about, you feel appreciated, you just even just basically feel welcomed. That that is momentous. Just a really quick story. I had a a flight in in Air Canada. I was flying United, and I happened to land not far from my Air Canada desk, and I happened to see my favorite Air Canada guy, and he managed to get me on earlier Air Canada flight. And I and it's I've been traveling a ton, and I was tired as you, you've had this experience, Jack. I'm sure. sure. And the fact that someone had done something nice to me and made it not a big deal. It, it almost brought tears to my eyes, which was slightly embarrassing in that moment. But I just felt so cared for, and it's so meaningful when someone is personal and cares about. And so I went and got them all Starbucks treats, and it was we had a little party. It was, it was quite fun at the Air Canada desk last week. But that to me is so meaningful, and I think people just assume it's a transaction, but you know, it's really it's really caring. And so when you can build your business on that and keep looking for ways to create value, there's endless ways to be nice to people and to include them, and you know. Just be who it, I mean, clearly you are being who you want to be in, in the world, in business, and that stores are a vehicle for that. And to me, it just sounds like such great fun. <laughs> what, it, is, it is fun. I mean, just to give you the same, just to not build on your story about Air Canada. I mean, I was, I came back from Alaska on the red eye Saturday night and, and I was, I, I, I still fly coach, just like I told you, but I consider it a sort of a fun competitive game to see if I can be upgraded. Yes. <laughs> and and so and so my great assistant had me on the list and so forth and we were emailing back and forth out how 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 high or low I was on the list so I was able to because of a friend I got into the Delta Lounge and and um anyway I was in the lounge and I befriended this the woman Sue who's going to make the, the, the determination I think what at least she'll have some degree of input whether I get upgraded or not anyway bottom line I got upgraded but I, I I'm pretty sure I was on I would have been upgraded anyway but she was so nice and so she I kept of course I was I kept coming back every half hour because we had a two hour layover and she said don't worry about Jack I'm a hawk I'm on top of by this time it's a Sue Jack relationship right? not John which is my real name so of course what I did when I first thing I came back this morning I, I sent her a hug your customer book oh great and I, taught, and, and I told her I was going to she, I said you know you don't know this but I wrote a book called Hug Your Customers and I, you've been such a great hugger and she was like you know you should have seen the smile Oh, fantastic. Okay, I'm going to give my friend Paul, Paul Del Carlo, Air Canada. <laughs> I'm sending you a hundred <laughs> customer book. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. All right, so um, one of the things I want to, first of all, the book is so packed with practical wisdom. I can't even begin to touch it. It would probably take about you. 10 hours Thank to you. get practical. So one of the things that you talk about, and you mentioned them already, but I want to re- include, you know, mention them again, is that one of the ways that you introduce change to the company is that you have a five-step way of doing it, which is to invite invite people to be in the decision, you solicit input, you include them, you involve them, and you invest in them. Correct. And I love that because I think a lot of times leaders get stuck with feeling like they have to be the one in charge, they have to be the one to make the decision, and ultimately that is true. But there's uh, we have a term that, that Babs, who's co-owner of Strategic Coach, she, says, she calls it collective intelligence. And we are so much smarter together than any one wow. individual. And we have some pretty smart people here. But to my mind, what you've really done is, is written down a very easy way to remember how to do that and how to, how to have people accept change in a, in, a, in a way. And I'm sure you've made some much smarter decisions as a result of having that formula. Oh, definitely. You know, um, I think the one, one of the ones that I used in the book was the, the, um, the change that we made in compensation uh, and, and marshes are strong Long Island. Mm-hmm. And we made this, we made the same, um, you know, five I um, process 
in California. I mean, definitely, we we, the, 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 we use marshes in, in in Long Island as an easier one. I mean, when we bought that business, they 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 all were the nicest people in the world. They were they were so forth, but the whole compensation system needed to be overhauled, and they knew it. They just didn't know what one they wanted. And we actually began to to add, we formed a little task force and and we got some of their leaders their their people that needed to to be really included and we included almost eventually almost everyone and by the time we came out we we had people that hadn't talked to each other on a business on a personal level they had to talk to each other on a business level for some some of them ten years fifteen years and 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 they really by changing the compensation and and what how they were paid. And a few other little things, they they became friends again, and the whole business just took off. So it's it, it, this whole idea of really including people in the decision making process that they're going to be affected by, then is is so powerful. And you know we have we have so many meetings. I mean, candidly, my wife hates these meetings. You know because it's we do talk sometimes. It seems to be talking in circles. And my wife is a very analytical, black and white type of a person get it done but what, what happens though is it the more you talk it the more you talk it through the you know you can by explaining things you can you can change the behavior or change the opinion of somebody only they can change as we all know but they they can begin if, if you are open to change if you say you know what you have a good idea there um that's a terrific way of doing it and you and you you execute on that then all of a sudden they're saying, well, you know what? Maybe you have a point here. I'll I'll go along with this for a while. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, then they invest in it. Then they realize at the end, the last one investment, they're invested in the process. And maybe they didn't even, maybe they wouldn't have voted for it or been. By the way, that's another one interesting that I have never published, but I will share it with you. We don't vote on anything. Mm. What happens when you have when you when you have um, Shannon votes? You have winners and, and you have losers. Right. Right, my son Bob, who was really interesting, maybe a year ago, was on a, a country club board, and they had to replace a tennis. My son is a very good tennis player, and um, a t- t- tennis pro. And the bottom line was they got into a big, you know, heavy discussion, and and there was a four-three vote. Well, I don't even remember which side my son was on, but he came in. He said, you know, we're I'm so glad, Dad, you and Uncle Bill had this idea. We are, we're a consensus-driven. Um, leadership company mm-hmm. business because we we if somebody really feels strongly not to do something then we just don't do it we try to convince the person of course they're wrong or that they should be let's go let's go back up and we invite you into the process again just give your input but most of the time we we obviously if my son Andrew for example is in charge of marketing advertising and he he proposes certain advertising moves. We we normally say he just is reporting that he's doing it, and we go along with it. We support him. Mm-hmm. However, if it's if it maybe it touches something that's part of our strategic values or our family values, and he's we just say no, you can't do it. Why? And then we we say no. So we don't vote though. Mm-hmm. We, we, it, the more you if we vote, you have losers, and people feel they come to the table again as a loser, and you want a winners, as you, you indicated that earlier in our, in our conversation. It's so you want win-win. Mm-hmm. And, and so anyway, we don't vote. So it's this whole idea of, of in being included as one of our, of our basic values is, is terribly, terribly important in our business. 
I love it. The one last story we're going to need to wrap up shortly because we'll be up to our hour, which is I could do, I could seriously talk to you for a very long time. But one of the stories that really impressed me from the book, so I'll tell it and then you can correct the, <laughs> correct the details. Okay, right. Um, and that was that there was someone who was really, you know, she was super excited because she had achieved a sales level over someone else. You know, within the other one was in the store within another store, and it was right. to the point where they were they were actually almost like trying to take business from another store, and this customer came here instead of went there, and you and you or it could have been Bill, kind of gently reminded her that you were actually all on the same team, right, and right. that it was really about the whole company winning, not just her over another associate or another store, and I and I like that because I think competition can be used in a very very powerful way, especially when it's winning you know, against the world, if that's what, because, <laughs> or in poker. Uh, but when it's done against another, another associate, another team member, it's actually very dysfunctional. And it really does, does it, it tends to tear down the fabric of a company rather than build it up. Right, exactly. So that yeah, was, I, that was one well, of the yeah. stories in the book that really, I've, I've always remembered it, whether I've remembered it correctly or not. But I like that you were that intentional and that conscious about the bigger picture. Well, we, we try to do that all the time. I mean, we, we clearly want the people to be competitive. We like competitiveness. I'm a very competitive person, but competitive achieving the goals that we all want to do together. And and um, like you were saying earlier about being the best, but clearly if it, if it, if it um, affects in a negative way the cooperation part of our value system, then, mm-hmm. it, then it's, it's not a win. It's a, it's a lose mm-hmm. for the other person. And clearly, we really stress teamwork. Again, we're not perfect. But clearly, we don't want somebody stepping on somebody else's toes just because they, they can sell. Now, sometimes in our selling process, a customer will say, you know, I'd rather, the chemistry isn't right. I'd rather be with Sally than, than, uh, than Jane. And that, if that's the case, I mean, because Ken, we're not we're not a, we're not in commission, but that we try to build these personal relationships more with, you know, an individual sales associate. And then what happens? You that, that happens with all of us. You know, like I think I kidded in my book that some you know the first time somebody wanted my brother, who was a tremendous seller, um, in the old days, uh, to wait on him rather than me. I was I didn't feel great about it. But mm-hmm. guess what? What comes around goes around. And there, there were a few that were reversed. Right. And so, and so, the more you can recognize that, and the more you can make it so that everybody wins and nobody loses, it's just a, it's just a, it's a much happier team. And you constantly are talking about the teamwork. I mean, we, uh, with, with my selling book that I was, I was showing you earlier that I'm right, I'm in the midst of writing. I mean, our our buyers have to sell the sellers. What's what's new in the marketplace? What the trends are? If if we need to send that that book out tonight to 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 give to you to give to the person at the Air Canada, I got to make sure that my assistant Amy does it right, and she goes down to Tony Gagario in our shipping department and gets it out on overnight. And if she doesn't smile just the right way and do it the right, she knows Tony's you know, idiosyncrasies to get it done. Right? <laughs> That's that's my responsibility, not yours. By the way, but I'll, I'll make sure that Paul gets it. That's that's on me. Yeah. And, and yeah. You know, I, I know from reading your book, it's the same with mine. I mean, you know, I, it, it is everyone's job. It's just it is everybody's job to service the customers, and and that's what we have to focus in on: making these wonderful customers come back and shop again and have fun and all that. And guess what? If they if they end up buying. I always kid Harry Rosen, you know, who I obviously think Rosen's is a, is a fantastic store in Canada. I mean, I've learned so much from the great Harry Rosen and from his son Larry, by the way, mm-hmm. um, both of them. Um, you know, if they buy in Canada, 
That's another quick story, maybe to end, which I, I, uh, I don't know where it fits in what we've said, but we, we, when I visited Harry Rosen years ago with, with one of our managers in Greenwich, his name is Jeff, um, Jeff prided himself that he, that the, the, the um, number two fellow at IBM was a great customer of ours. And, but he was, he was a native from Toronto, mm-hmm. but he came to the United States and worked for IBM. And Jeff was bragging in a nice way. He, I shouldn't say, he was saying, what a great customer. This, and we can look up on our computer, even on our, our iPads or our iPhones now or our Blackberries, how much this gentleman spent. And he mentioned, he mentioned something that he was a great customer. Of course, the manager at Bloor Street said, guess what? He's our best customer. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's awesome. And, and the whole thing was, look, we were both servicing John, was his first name. And, and we were servicing him well. And he was a happy camper, a happy customer, and and so that's that's the most important thing is 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 to really get into the mindset that you want your customers to you know the best for your customers. And, well, and it sounds so so simple, but it it um, and but it's really the hallmark of what we do. We try to do anyway. I know I totally agree, and I think that's also if you think about the you know the issue with a customer wanting to go work with Bill instead of you, and then vice versa. When it's really about the customer. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. We can we can right. get over our own little personal, mm, a little bit of a blow to the ego sometimes. But when you have something bigger than yourself, and in customer service is what is absolutely most important for you, taking care of that person because you personalize it in such a brilliant way and you explain it really clearly. That it's it's to my mind that's important. It's it that means that brings out the best in people. So having that bigger purpose and in customers, to my, I can't think of a better one. It's one that I know keeps us out of trouble at Strategic Coach. I was helping a client with. Some something that another team member had done with them. And I was sort of taking it to the next level. And he was like, oh, do you think she'll be upset? I'm like, no, if she cares about you, <laughs> you know, which she does, she'd be quite, quite happy to have me take another crack at it. And so I said, because right, exactly. you ultimately are what matters. It's not about my position or jockeying over someone else. And that to me is ultimately what is possible in unique ability teamwork company and a company like yours, you know, where that that level of working together in cooperation is possible where it simply is not in another type of company. So, Jack, I am extraordinarily appreciative of you sharing your wisdom, and you have laid it out so clearly in your book. So, everyone, if you have not yet got Hug Your Customers and Hug Your Your People in the soon-to-come new selling book, which I'm very much looking forward to, please (laughs) do. And the last thing I want to talk about is the fact that you have a hugging achievement test, nicknamed HAT, and the appendix of both books. So if anyone wants to go and sort of do a little bit of introspection and fill out an exercise, okay, how am I doing on the hugging scale? And I love hugging as a metaphor, although I think I take it very literally. Uh, you know, how is how do, how am I doing on that? So if anyone wants to up their hugging quotient, please take a look at the appendix because it has a great quiz that you can do. So, Jack, I cannot thank you enough for your time. This has been an absolute pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. I certainly have, Shannon. Thank you. That's great. All right. Thanks very much.